Ladies and gentlemen, we are now seeing the beginnings of another stage of human evolution. The truth is that mutants are very real, and they are among us. We must know who they are, and above all, what they can do. We're not what you think, not all of us. Who are you people? What kind of place is this? I'm Professor Charles Xavier. I built this school where mutants could learn to focus their powers in a positive way and also learn that mankind was not evil, just uninformed. You'll be safe here from Magneto, a very powerful mutant who believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity. There is a war coming. You sure you're on the right side? This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Why, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC, and we're broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com, and also coming to you through the power of of iTunes and Google Play and StarWarsUnderworld.com. And yes, we have yet another marvelous episode for you guys tonight. Yes, I'm going to keep on using that pun because it fits, all right? Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about another Marvel movie, not a new one. A very old one, actually. One of the original Marvel movies of our, our new era. Not in the MCU. The X-Men films. The original trilogy, I should say. The first of those. You guys voted for it. And you got it. And we're going to be diving into the 2000 X-Men. X-Men. X-Ben. X-Ben. The, uh, the 2000 X-Men movie from the year 2000, which was a long time ago. I don't know if you noticed. Um, but first, introductions are in order if you are new to the show or have completely forgotten who we are. My name is Ben, and joining me, as he does for many, many times, it is our good friend, Mr. Jake Damon. I think I'm just going to call you X-Ben for the rest of uh, eternity now. Um, hey, guys. <laughs> it's It's great to be back. It's great to be back talking about the X-Men. This is like going way back. You know, we're, we're in a new Marvel era nowadays with the yeah. MCU and stuff. But this is like, this is when they were just kind of figuring out what what 
superhero movies could be even it was like when superhero movies were first coming onto the scene which is always an interesting thing to see the uh the progression of and i think this is a pretty strong movie uh that they made back then and i if i'm not mistaken i think uh kevin feige was uh was he involved to some degree i believe so i believe he was I think he was producing in yeah, some form. something like and, that. And, yeah, so he was in the shadows of this. He was mm-hmm. definitely, like, I- I'm sure he was learning, honestly, yeah. because, like, this was, I feel like these films and the, and the Maguire Spider-Man films, like, those kind of ushered in this age of superheroes that we're in right now. And they were really kind of this jumping off point of, like, I know, like, it's not a, a flipping a light switch, but it's definitely there's a progression between the classic Donner Superman movies to we have the MCU now. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of like the starting to turn the corner into this new era of X-Men. And, you know, this this was an, an era to, unto itself with the X-Men with this really long-running franchise that just ended, uh-huh. unfortunately. But uh, now it could easily... And I want to actually talk a little bit about that later in the show, how this might actually affect the MCU because eventually... The X-Men are going to make their debut in the MCU, and how will this, you know, can we look at this as a possible instrument to, you know, how they might show up in the MCU? So yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. And it, I'm probably going to forget to talk about this later, so I'll just say it now. But Go ahead. it's another interesting thing is, like, if you look at the progression of superhero media from, you know, back, like, even back in the 30s and stuff, you had the... You had some live action stuff, but mostly cartoons and things. And there was more of like a full embrace of the comic book look and things like that. Like the old Superman uh, would have like the actual Superman costume and not not a whole lot was changed about it. Same with Batman and so on. And then you get around to the 2000s era and like 1999 and that with movies like The Matrix and Blade, which is also a Marvel property. Um, but and then x-men they kind of went from more like what they thought would be more realistic with like the black leather and stuff so that was definitely an aesthetic going on here um and it's, it's interesting to see how 20 years after that now in this modern more modern era of superhero movies we've kind of reverted back to to seeing like what these characters would look like with a more comic accurate costume. So I'm with the X-Men coming back to the MCU. It's going to be interesting to see what their costumes look like compared to what they looked like in, in X-Men 2000. Very true. Very true. And yeah, looking forward to, uh, discussing that film because this is my first time ever watching an X-Men movie. So, uh, this is going to be a really interesting discussion, but before we get to that, I want to bring up something else that just happened today as a recording um, we got a new trailer, or actually the first trailer, for Jungle Cruise, which is the newest ride-based film from Disney. You, know, you had Pirates of the Caribbean. Now we have Jungle Cruise, which is based on the ride in Disneyland and Disney World, and it stars Dwayne the Drock Johnson, and we got Emily Blunt, and it doesn't look half bad. It really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I was kind of like... Okay, like I can get behind this. Like they've done this before to, you know, good results. So I'm happy with this. You know, it's a bit like self referential, as I'll get into, but like 
Um, what did you think about this, Jay? Well, after watching the trailer, I kind of wanted to call it Indiana Jones and the Jungle Cruise of Doom, but it... <laughs> <laughs> that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't have any experience with the ride from I th- it's di- yeah, it's Disney Disney World, Disneyland ride, right? Right. Um right. and I've heard a lot of things about the ride and it was it, I I think I picked up on some of those self-referential things like they you're going down the the river and you see things on the side and you're getting attacked by things yeah the the whole opening scene of this trailer or the part where you get to uh the rock in in the boat yeah all of that is dripped straight out of the ride okay the ride is as i've explained before it's someone who is one of the cast members pretending to drive the boat which is obviously on rails and then trying to scare you quote unquote with different things that show up the natives or whatever and you also the uh, the backside of water, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is straight out of the ride, uh, which I kind of like. I, I was a bit it was a bit of an eye roll moment for me because I'm like, man, they're really laying this on hard. But at the same time, like it is based on the ride, and it is presented in a kind of comical and kind of more of a good way in the sense that it's all about this guy trying to pull the wool over some uh, tourist eyes and trying to make something out of nothing, which is kind of the ride itself. So I, I like that bit. Yeah. And you can't go wrong with The Rock. He's like a charisma machine. And Both Emily Blunt and The Rock are like yeah. just charismatic at the wazoo. So like they're going to charm us if nothing else. I was going to say Emily Blunt looks like she's going to be a lot of fun in here. I, I haven't had that much experience with Emily Blunt in movies before. I think... Uh, what am I thinking of? I know she was in uh, that Tom Cruise one about the aliens, Edge of Tomorrow. Right. Was very good. And a few few other things, but I I liked her in what I saw, you know. And she could play serious good. She plays a badass good. And she does comedy good. And I feel like in this one, she's gonna it's got to be a mix of comedy and, and being a badass. So it'll be cool to see them paired up. Yeah, they're they're great. And from what I heard at uh, D23 when they showed some of the stuff off, they were they were really well done. They were they were really uh eating eating it up. So yeah. uh yeah, this this looks pretty good. It's coming out I think uh 2020 sometime and you know, it it could be really good. I think if nothing else, you're going to get some really uh fun performances from uh Blunt and The Rock. And uh, who knows what else? Yeah, and it was funny because watching, like, even in the first fifteen seconds, I was looking at the the costumes and the colors and just some of the action set pieces and things. And my first thought was, this is this is getting a sequel, no question. Like, I can see this becoming a franchise. I don't know if it would be as big as Pirates of the Caribbean because that that franchise started off really strong like the first Pirates of the Caribbean is one of my favorite movies ever and I think it got less good as it went on for sure but who knows how people will receive this yeah you know it's funny because we're, we're approaching now they keep threatening to make Indiana Jones 5 <laughs> I'm okay with that I think that <laughs> you know what I am too but at the same time in a sense if you think about it we need the next Indiana Jones franchise. True. We need to be making the next franchise that is going to take that place. And I feel like if this is done right, this could be it. This could be a really great, fun franchise, all of Pirates of the Caribbean. And people don't even realize, like, Indiana Jones is this, like, comic book-type character. He's comical. It's funny. It's A lot of the charm of that is in this. Mm-hmm. So I could totally see that. I would like to see them, like, 
maybe not Jungle Cruise 2, but like take those characters and implant them into like another ride slash sequel. Yeah. I don't know how they quite do that, but I think, you know, turn take those very charismatic actors and put them in different situations. I think you would be a match made in heaven. So, uh. well, everything I love about Indiana Jones, besides the fact that it's Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones is the fact that it's just a fun adventure, you know, and it takes place. It's, it's kind of a period movie. It takes place in the thirties, exactly. forties. And I love that, that time period and all of that mixed with a touch of, of like mysticism and like, Ooh, what's, what's the creepy skull that's glowing type of thing. <laughs> and it seems right. like that's the vibe they're going for with this. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, uh, July 2020 is when we can look forward to this. I'm sure we'll probably get a trailer for this, the trailer for this, probably this trailer in front of the rise of Skywalker. And speaking of Ooh, nice segue. Yeah, that was a great segue and you totally ruin it when you call attention to the segue. <laughs> So, uh, my apology. Yeah. No, no, that was me. I was totally going to call and touch to it because I was very proud of it, but then <laughs> I ruined it. But uh, The Rise of Skywalker, it's coming, and there's been a lot of buzz online about people freaking the heck out about the trailer. They want a new trailer, as they always do. Everybody wants a new Star Wars trailer. And so, apparently, one report said that we're getting the trailer during Monday Night Football on October 21st, which, if you're listening to this now, this is October 11th, so that's a couple weeks away. But then you had John Boyega's manager came out and and teased that it could be coming up this Monday, this upcoming Monday, which is just a few days away. So, so the point I'm trying to make here is that we're probably getting a trailer either this Monday or next Monday. Probably. Probably. Maybe. None of this is official, but it certainly seems to be looking that way so uh i don't know i don't know but i think we're, we'll have something to look forward to regardless and a uh, new star wars trailer we're getting eventually sometime between now and december 20th we're getting a trailer that's a definite yeah i think that's pretty safe to say but i i don't know a lot of people want trailers to come out certain day like obviously i'm a huge fan the sooner the better but Ultimately, it's going to come out when it comes out, and we're going to forget about all the waiting we had to do up to that point once it does come out. Uh, I, I, this reminds me of the very first Force Awakens trailer that came out. It was kind of an, une- an unexpected thing, for me anyway, and when it when it came out, it just kind of put my mind forever in a different gear as far as like what I'm excited for Star Wars-wise moving forward, and... It kicked it into full gear, and every movie, every Star Wars movie that's come out since, I can't wait for the trailer. You know, so this is this is no exception. I, I wasn't the hugest fan of the last trailer that came out with the Ray's red lightsaber. Just it didn't excite me as much as <laughs> I thought it it might. But hopefully, we'll get some more cool footage with this and and uh, see what is going on next in the in the next chapter of of our of our heroes in the skywalker saga indeed yeah it's going to be interesting regardless yep and uh, yeah so that's going to be a lot of fun and i'm not stressing out about it i'm just gonna it's gonna happen when it happens yep. 
No sense in stressing about it. Even those freaking Star Wars trailer guys. Okay, okay, I'll, I'm, it's enough. I'm calm. Well, down. I, I, I hope it does come out on Monday because Monday for me is definitely the worst, most stressful day in my work week. Not to mention that it's the first day <laughs> back, you know. But it's definitely the longest day that I work during the during the week. And when something cool like that drops on a Monday, it just makes it that more bearable. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing quite tops off a bad work day than a Star Wars trailer. Right. Indeed. All right. Um, okay, so really quick, there's something else that you wanted to bring up, I think, in regards to the upcoming DC CW Arrowverse crossover thing. Um, yeah, so I just thought this was cool. Um I I'm I'm loving following all this all the news and set photos and things coming out about the crisis on Infinite Earths on the CW. Um one one thing that I did not expect was like how or what one thing I, I'm not sure of is how far they're going with this like this infinite earth thing like how 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 many right. cameos are we getting you know I, like the whole Kevin Conroy playing Batman himself playing Bruce Wayne never expected that and so many other things that are just really cool surprises but today apparently uh somebody took a photo from the set of a newspaper that had the headline read like, uh, I think it was Bruce Wayne marries Selena Kyle, who, as we know, is a Catwoman. But the, the Bruce Wayne they're talking about featured on the front cover is none other than Michael Keaton yeah. from the Burton Batman universe, which is super cool. And I don't know if I, I think what this means is that he's not actually going to show up in the actual uh, episode or the actual crossover, you know, Michael Keaton himself. But they are they are showing a younger version of Michael Keaton. But this this is really cool, really unexpected, and I'm glad that they're going to great lengths to show us that really this does cross over many many different versions of these characters. Yeah. So I looked up uh, looked up the the picture, and it's the Gotham City Gazette, yeah. and it says Wayne Tech CEO Bruce Wayne to marry socialite Selena Kyle, mm-hmm. and of course it's got a picture of Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne, and so I think obviously wherever the characters end up, like they're not just traveling through space, they're traveling through time as well, and it's going to be during the time of those films. So obviously Michael Keaton can't show up as himself because he's a lot older now. But True. that's really cool to see that not only are they, as we've talked about, you know, they're they've got the old Arrowverse in there. They're bringing in Batman from the Arkham games. They're doing. They'll have Brandon Routh, who is the Superman from the Donner films, and now they're bringing in this. This crossover could easily be the one thing that finally unites like every single DC property. Like they could have references to literally everything. Yeah, this kind of opens up the possibilities for so many other things. If you can if you could put in a picture of Michael Keaton's Batman or Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne, I should say, then what else can you do? Can you put in references to the Nolan Batman films or the the Ben Affleck Batman or that universe? So you can do pretty much anything. And speaking of which, uh, a picture I, I already heard he was going to be in this, but a uh, picture of Burt Ward who played Robin and uh, Dick Grayson from the 66 Batman series is is making a cameo too to what extent I don't know but I think he's playing Robin and he was wearing a 
uh, shirt that kind of had all the colors that Robin has. So you got your your uh, reds and yellows and greens, and I thought that was a really cool nod to his his costume from the '60s show. So we'll see what that what that cameo is all about. Uh, I really hope he's playing Dick Grayson though. Yeah, he's like he's like walking a dog, I think, in the picture that I saw. Yeah, true. Um, which is like. <laughs> really interesting Mm -hmm. that like what are they going to do with him like you know is he just going to be walking down the street in the background he's going to have a line like uh i don't know well the the sad the sad part for me is that uh adam west who played bruce wayne slash batman in the 60s show is no longer with us unfortunately so uh that's pretty sad it would have been very cool to see them both together but i'm glad i'm glad we do get we do get burt ward and that he was willing to come on and and uh be a, a really cool addition to this yeah i feel like adam west if he were still with us he would have absolutely jumped at this and also he would have had like a at least a good line in there yeah, somewhere for sure for sure <laughs> they would have had him saying i'm batman or mm-hmm. something it would have been how cool would it have been to have adam west meet kevin conroy oh man yeah. things that that would be amazing are impossible to happen now but would have been cool like it's a shame that the DC Universe movies are such, you know, I don't want to say shambles, but they're in such bad shape right now with the actors. You have two of the biggest actors in it, Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck, who are kind of on the outs with the franchise right now. Um, seemingly, uh, you know, I feel like those two might even have, or one of the two might have shown up I- in this crossover if things lined up. And they could still happen. I guess Henry Cavill's still in, so that could happen, but I... I doubt it. Yeah, it's it's a lot harder to get big movie stars in things like TV shows just just pay-wise if they if their contract or their agents are demanding a certain price, sometimes it's just impossible. But I do like the stories where big actors will come back and rep- reprise a role or make a cameo just out of the goodness of their heart just cuz it's it's fun for them. So maybe we'll get yeah, some I mean fun. And look at Brandon Routh. Like, he was Superman. He was the, right. the, the film Superman. Right. And here he is. You know, not only has a main role in Legends of Tomorrow, but, you know, is coming back to play Superman. Yeah. Against himself, I assume. Yeah. So and that, uh, that's going to be really interesting. That's one of those cases where you can tell he loves playing the character and loves uh, loves his fans, and he's happy to be there. Yeah, and, and I, I just love it from the standpoint that I think – Superman Returns got so much flack back in the day and still does to a certain extent. And I don't know if it was, I know, you know, it's not a perfect film, but I enjoyed it for what it was. And I think a lot of people did. And I think any problems with that movie was no fault to Brandon Routh. I think he did the character justice and really well done. So you know, giving him a chance to come back and play the character and do all that, I think, has got to be a thrill for him. You know, uh, Superman Returns was actually my very first Superman movie. and You know what? I think it might have been mine, too. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I'm not sure exactly why it was my first. I, I had no sense when I first saw it of, like, where this kind of took place in the franchise. I had no idea if it was the first with Brandon Routh or the second or what. Like, I really didn't know. I barely had a grasp of Christopher Reeve as Superman at that point. But And this was, this was well before Henry Cavill was Superman. But I remember not hating it. I, I liked the the vibe and the tone of it and i liked kevin spacey 
in it and everything. And I, I really liked Brandon Routh. I thought he fit the bill pretty well. And now upon rewatching it, I can see kind of like how it's just kind of boring and that's its biggest flaw but i don't think that i guess so yeah i I don't think the acting was bad or anything i think i don't know i think maybe it can be appreciated for the fact that it it wasn't about all punching and everything like that that the newer dc films are it was more about more of a character study yeah um so i don't know i think i I think it's one of those films that time is only going to be kind to it people will look back on it and you know, appreciate it more as time goes on. True. So. I, I think I'm due for a rewatch anyway, because the last time I w- watched it might've been three or four years ago, but it's been a while for me too. Yeah. I just, I remember the first time I watched it being totally blown away by that scene where he's on the rooftop and he gets shot in the eye with a bullet. That scene, <laughs> that's one of the best Superman scenes Ever. Yeah, I agree. Like you see the bullets coming in slow motion towards the person. Mm-hmm. He just shows up out of nowhere and just starts walking towards him, and the guy, yes. you know, he destroys the cannon, and the guy just like, oh, I'm going to shoot him in the eye. Yeah. Just walks up to him, point blank, shoots him in the eye, and he just smiles at him. It's just like, dude, did you really expect that to go any other way? I think I think that was the moment when I realized that Superman was cool. <laughs> and, and it was utilizing, you know, modern special effects to, like, show how absolutely indestructible Superman is. Yeah, um, yeah. And then also at the end, show how he vulnerable he is. So, like, yep. okay, Superman Returns, we're going to have to review it on the show and talk about how awesome it is and how everyone is wrong about I'm it. I'm down, I'm down. Um, it would be cool to have a month or two where we just cover every Superman movie because ever since I watched Superman, I, I've kind of gotten into it a little bit more here and there and, and just kind of really found out what makes Superman such a great character and an interesting one as well and his dynamic with Batman and stuff. I know we wouldn't get into Batman or anything, but the Superman movies as a whole from the Christopher Reeve one all the way up through Man of Steel would just be a really interesting uh, uh, group of movies to look at. I absolutely agree. And I would love to, yeah, go all the way back to the Donner films and review the first one and then Superman 2 and then all the way through to the Richard Pryor one, which is apparently a thing. I, I haven't seen it, but I want to watch it. Yeah, is that three it. or um, four? I can't remember. I know there's a terrible one called Quest for Peace. I know that's four, but I'm not sure if that's... Yes, Quest for Peace. And there's, I don't know which one that like with Richard Pryor, yeah. but like... It's gotta be at least okay with Richard Pryor. Like, yeah, he's. I know it's like out of the blue, but like it's freaking Richard Pryor. It's gotta be okay. Yeah, and this was back during like the Blazing Saddles days. It was in his heyday. You're mm-hmm. right. So uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm down for that. We're gonna have to. Maybe we'll tackle tackle that next year. Put it on the schedule. Yeah, sounds good. Um, and as always, listeners, if you guys want to hear stuff like that, of course we're always down. Um, as we're doing tonight, because. We came up with the idea, hey, let's revisit another older franchise. Mm. And X-Men was put on the table, the original trilogy X-Men. And uh, the Peacekeepers voted on it, and there was several different choices, but this one won out. So tonight we're going to be talking the first of the X-Men trilogy. We're going to be doing the other two films as well in upcoming episodes. But tonight we're going to be focusing on just X-Men from the year 2000. And... I remember the year 2000, and holy crap, that was a long time ago. Yeah. And I don't remember this movie. I never saw it up until a couple of nights ago, and I really enjoyed it, actually. Yeah. 
I liked it a lot. Um, but I want to get your take, Jake, because I think you've seen it a few more times than I have. You've sat with it a bit longer. What's kind of your overall take on this one? I've seen this X-Men film more than any of the other X-Men films, I think, just in general. I don't even mean the first three. I mean every X-Men film. And I forget when I actually first watched it, but I was pretty young. And I, just like most kids, was was really into superheroes and the original uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Mans and all that stuff. So this just seemed kind of in that same group of 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 movies that I was into back then and I really liked it even before I understood the ins and outs of the story and the 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 politics between Xavier and Eric Mm -hmm. and all that it was just cool to see Wolverine on screen Hugh Jackman's Wolverine is uh as a character for the ages it's just one of the great movie characters and I I loved the I loved the team, you know, it was cool to see all the kids with their powers and all that jazz and you know, I'm I'm not really sure how much I could have said about it when I was a kid besides Wolverine's awesome, but nowadays as an older person who understands a little bit more about how how stories work, I guess um this is a really intriguing story and it's it's more than just like a surface level superhero movie like something like uh x-men origins wolverine might be we may talk about that sometime who knows we'll get to that oh that's that would be an episode (laughs) but but this one really kind of dives into the the characters and their motivations and you you this is one of the instances where you see both sides really well you see where Magneto's coming from and you see where Professor X is coming from and it's kind of like a it's kind of like a different version of Civil War because I remember Captain America Civil War you could really see both both sides really really well I think Civil War might have done it a little better because there was no real clear bad guy but in right whereas I mean Magneto is clearly the villain in yeah in X-Men you kind of have to side with the the uh with charles xavier and his his school because it's kind of clear that magneto's kind of going over the line in in a few areas but yeah overall this movie i think was really good and one of the best of the entire series it is and and as i said this is my first time ever watching this so but but like I'm familiar with the X-Men just from, you know, the memes and pop culture and all this kind of stuff. Like, I know what the X-Men are all about, um, but unfortunately, like, it's been colored by, like, the more recent films and kind of, unfortunately, the backlash of those films. And I think, obviously, the later films aren't or weren't nearly as well-received as this one was, or I assume this one was, um, because this was a, this is a solid, good movie and I think it's really underrated, and I'm sad that it took me this long to get to it. But I think it does a really well job of introducing these characters. And the X-Men mythology, from what I understand, is very deep. And there's a lot of characters to introduce. And they, they, they downsize the cast, because obviously, just looking at future casts of future films and the roster from the comics, there's obviously like... They've all, they've only used a bare minimum of characters in this film in order to introduce the concepts and to you know keep you focused on what's actually important. 
I think it, they do really well with this. I think it inter- introduces the concept, it introduces the villain really well, it introduces just the main conflict of it, and also sets it in a backdrop of a very relatable universe in regards to the whole struggle of the mutants and their powers and being trying to be controlled by the government is straight up the civil rights movement or you could apply it to just about any movement in regards to human rights past and present and that's what makes it so relatable and you totally (laughs) it's it's kind of crazy how close it is and how spot on it is with kind of the political commentary and it's just it's a really solid character piece on all these characters and I also liked it, it was kind of unexpected that you start with the villain. You start with a prologue that is telling you about the villain. And Magneto, in the film, without this prologue, isn't all that sympathetic of a character. He's pretty evil, he's pretty fed up with everything, he's willing to kill people, do whatever, but this whole prologue with him in Auschwitz experiencing the Holocaust firsthand, being Jewish himself, was really powerful. Something that I wasn't expecting going in. I wasn't expecting to feel like I'm watching Schindler's List. Um, Mm. Schindler's List. (laughs) Schindler's List. There's an L in there. Steven Schindler just perked up somewhere. Did Um, you say my name? I just knocked my pop figure on the floor. Uh Um, (laughs) I get too wavy with my hands. I have to talk with my hands. (laughs) So I, I wasn't expecting to watch like Schindler's List, but that's exactly what this is, and you know, it, it really is powerful stuff, and it and it sets up Eric's storyline really, really well. I think you understand where he's coming from, especially just you know going throughout the whole film. You understand that he's totally fed up. He's been here before. He's done trying to be diplomatic because you know that hasn't worked for him. So I think it was really well done. The only other time that I've seen this, or more recent times, is uh, Shazam. I don't know if you've seen that Not movie. Yet. It starts out in a very similar way with a flashback. And it starts with a kid, and you're thinking, oh, this is one of the heroes. And no, it actually turns out that this is the origin story of the villain. Uh. <laughs> and to make them more sympathetic. And it does a really good job. I think probably X-Men does it better in the sense that it's much more powerful here. But I, I really like... Magneto, just upon first impressions, I love him as a character. I think he's a great villain in the sense that he's very relatable. And his his powers are cool, too, which which helps. But uh, all these characters are great. Yeah, the beginning scene in Auschwitz, I think, is one of the great comic book movie scenes, for sure. It's It sets the tone for what the character of Eric is and how he came to be and the experiences he had as a child concerning his family and just, and uh, his, his people in general. And it sets up his powers and it sets up like what world we're in, in this universe. Like if you are not a comic book aficionado or don't know who the X-Men are, then this kind of tells you, Oh yeah, some people have crazy powers and how do they use them and how do they learn to live with them and how do other people who don't have the powers look at people with powers and abilities so that was interesting to see and it was yeah it was it's a it's a really solemn way to open up a movie 
But I think if you took that whole scene out and just had the first time you see Eric be that conversation between him and Charles at the beginning, which is another great comic book movie scene, mm-hmm. I think that it would have done the character a little bit of a disservice and I, it wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have sympathized with, with Magneto as much, you know, and I really appreciate movies that take time to flesh out their villain and give you their side of the story. And this is this is a great example of that. Yeah, and it, it gives you the perspective on like Eric has a more complex perspective on the world and all in this situation. And the fact that he's and I don't know who created this character originally for the Marvel comics, but it's absolutely brilliant to tell a story about persecuted people, the the mutants, but do it in a way that a mutant is now is also a member of a real life persecuted people, the Jews, and doing that so he's experiencing this doubly that he was taken from his family, his family probably was killed and and, and he could have been killed too, you know, just because he was born, just because he existed and somebody didn't like that. And it's a great thing and it's just a great moral message in regards to Mutants are just born the way they are, and we should treat them the same. Just like we should support anybody else. If yes. they're born a certain way, we shouldn't persecute them for that. I think it's a message that continues to be relevant, and unfortunately, um, because we still do have struggles with certain people in certain parts of the world. So it's, it's sad, but it's the X-Men is this thing that exists as a commentary on these sorts of things, which is great. And Eric's story is a prime example of it. Yeah, and the movie in certain areas is a little bit dated because this is 2000 or whatever, but I think right. the, the messages in it are timeless and can be applied to any era. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm looking forward to, as someone who doesn't know what's coming up next for the most part, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how his story progresses. Oh, yeah. And another character that I really liked was rogue mm. who I honestly was confused. I thought rogue was Jean gray. Yeah. Don't know why. I, I'm an idiot. I'm a total Marvel Comics noob, so I totally thought that. No, I can, I can see that confusion for sure. Like, the imagery, like, when, whenever you say Jean Grey or Rogue, I, I picture the same person in the comics for some reason, so I know exactly what right. you're talking about. But, yeah, they, there are, they are different in the, in the movie for sure. Okay, so this is an interesting part that really surprised me about this mm. movie. Rogue is from Mississippi. Okay. That's that's she's also she's from Meridian, Mississippi in the movie, mm. which is a place that's not too far from wow. me. So when I saw, you know, them cut from this really intense stuff with Auschwitz to courtroom scene to this girl in a bedroom with her boyfriend in Meridian, Mississippi, I'm like, what the what is this? Whoa, <laughs> this is close to home. Like, literally, I was going to say, I guess um, you could say it hit a little close to home. huh? <laughs> oh, that was terrible. But uh, that really surprised me. I, I, you know, hey, I'll take it. I, I like, I like the idea. And apparently, this goes back to the comics. She's actually from a fictional uh, county in Mississippi in the comics, and in the movie, they just kind of applied it to a real world city. Oh yeah, which is really cool. That, that but <laughs> just yeah. to pause for a second, that reminds me of when we lived in Tennessee for a year. We lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, 
and, Chattanooga, yeah. and uh, which I, I love that city, by the way. But yeah. we were watching Iron Man three there, opening in theaters. Oh, and yeah. there's a whole sequence that takes place right there in Chattanooga, and our theater freaked out. Oh my gosh, I forgot all about that. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I love it when they do stuff like that. New York and L.A. They've been in every movie. Yeah, you know it's nice when they branch out a bit and uh you know put something more obscure and you're like hey i've been to that place i know that because new york is so massive yeah that they can just they can film it in cleveland and you'll never know the difference and the, the, um, because the chances of it happening in a place that you are are so small and so when it does happen it's like holy crap exactly so yeah that's great and rogue is a character i think is really cool yeah. i like i like her powers i like her kind of backstory i like that she's kind of this you know, kind of becomes a drifter, and the fact that she can't touch anyone, which is, you know, really weird, and also plays right into the plot. Like, I almost lost it when she goes to wake up Wolverine and he stabs her. Yeah. I, like, whole that yeah. was insane. I'm like, holy crap, he just freaking killed her. Yep. And then I remember, oh, by the way, she can just take his powers and heal herself, which was, that's a great scene. Great, great yeah. scene. Yeah, and you can see the, the pain in... Logan's face because he thinks he's just killed her uh, yeah. but yeah that was that was a cool moment moment too yes I, I I think that was a great scene for Rogue but I also think it was a great scene for uh, Logan too because up until that point he just seems like a really hardened uh, kind of emotionally absent individual uh, and there you can kind of see his his heart shine through a little bit so but yeah, and yeah. well, I was just gonna elaborate on Rogue a little bit. That I think she's a great character in this too. She's kind of like the the I don't I don't know if I want to say MacGuffin or centerpiece of this movie because she's kind of our introduction to like the X Men school and and Wolverine and stuff. But and I think she ends up being used by by the the Brotherhood. I think their team is called um, in the end, but she, she had a interesting through story and I definitely, it seems like that would really suck not being able to have any physical contact with anybody. Uh, Obviously a big part of being a human is like physical touch and, and like communicating love through that way. And she can never really do that. So that's tough. Yeah, I'm sure some introverts would like that power. For sure. Yeah. But you to not, you know, not having to touch anyone and to be able to take other people's superpowers. <laughs> it's kind of cool, but you know, for anyone or any normal person, it would kind of suck. Yeah. It's like I don't want anybody to touch me and uh oh wait, nobody can touch me or else they die. Can't touch this. <laughs> MC Hammer. <laughs> um but you mentioned Logan. Let's talk about Logan mm-hmm. and as I said, first time watching an X-Men movie and first kind of a real exposure to Wolverine. And uh, he's a great character, and I like how they position him. Because I, I, coming into this, I'm like, oh, he's part of the team. He's an X-Men, whatever. Like, obviously, he's you know part of the team. No, he's not. He has history. He's lost his memories. They established that, but I think it's it's nice to bring him in as kind of the point of view character for a lot of this apart from rogue and he's he's a great character and i think he's obviously he's trying to he's the i'm guessing the, kind of the han solo type you mm-hmm. know he's kind of trying to play it off as being a jerk but he's obviously got a 
a soft inner core and uh this is the first bit of a long history as this character for Hugh Jackman but he brings in a compelling and great performance in this movie alone yeah and the 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 introduction scene where he's in the fighting ring and people are beating up on him but he's fine and it's it's really I don't know. It's cool. One of my favorite character introductions in any movie, I think. And he, uh, the bar guy, bar tender guy tries to shoot him because he's a freak. And, uh, he just turns around and whips those claws out and cuts that gun in half. Very iconic scene. And also we were talking about, uh, the Superman return scene earlier with the bullet in the eye and how that sticks in my mind. Well, probably the only other scene that comes even close to that from my childhood that always sticks in my scene or the scene that always sticks in my mind, I should say, is when rogue asks him if it hurts, if the, the claws come out or when the claws come out and go back into his hand. And he, he just says every time, and I thought that was a cool moment because it, it it was so badass. <laughs> I like that too because it was also like it was the kind of question you would ask in your in that situation. Yeah. Like it'd be like, does it hurt? You've got like giant claws coming out of your hand. Like, does it hurt? And uh, he grimly replies, "Every time." Yep. So yeah, that's a great moment, and uh, also. I like the way they do his healing factor and all this kind of stuff and how he literally gets thrown through a windshield yeah. <laughs> after being told after being told to put his seatbelt on and he doesn't. Some great irony there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's, you know, and I'm looking forward to more Wolverine in the future, but he's really, really great. Um, So they get to Xavier's school for the gifted at his cold. And I didn't even realize this, that this is a basically it's kind of a front like they're kind of advertised it's kind of outwardly it's presented as kind of like just this normal school but it's housing mutants and then on top of that below that there is a superhero team <laughs> underneath yes. in the basement like really multi-layered and you know I, I like the whole dynamic of this and all the kids and you know the kids playing ball and no powers and some good kid teleports and whatever it's uh really great yeah, and we're introduced to a lot of other characters like Cyclops and Jean Grey. And uh, you can see like the dynamic between Professor Xavier and these kids that he's teaching. And you see the, uh, what's his name? Bobby, the ice guy. Uh, you see <laughs> and you, you see him kind of develop a, a little bit of a relationship with Rogue a little bit, I think. And uh you meet storm and i i don't think beast is in this movie is he no no okay. no. Uh, no sign of kelsey grammar although he is a really really cool uh cool x-men that i guess we see later but yeah, yeah we get to see all these kids and and their powers and they're kind of like social outcasts and this is a place for them to be accepted and encouraged to use their their powers for good and it's it seems to be a really healthy environment yeah you would like i would like to go to the school i don't i don't have mutant powers but it would sound it looks like fun yeah exactly it seems like a place <laughs> that no matter what 
you know, if you if you feel bad about yourself in any way, you'll probably get a lot of positive reinforcement here. And yeah. and you're surrounded yeah. by good people. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with Xavier himself, Professor mm-hmm. X. And that performance is just so great and it's just so endearing. I like I like his power set. I like that he can, you know, sometimes control people's minds and he has this incredible power but ultimately is kind of laid it down and used it for good. Like, I think he's as equally powerful as Magneto, but you don't see him use his power that much because it takes a lot of restraint. Like, if he was evil, he could be really dangerous, but he's the opposite of that. He's a really endearing, loving character. And Sir Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, both brilliantly casted. Brilliant casting. And you know what? That first scene where you see Ian McKellen really took me a minute to adjust because when he's talking to uh, Professor X, all I could hear and see was Gandalf. Yeah, beardless Gandalf. It, and it really it sounds like, but there's still, there's some subtlety to that performance and he really does a good job of just selling Magneto as this uh, his own character. And I, uh, also, you know, Sir Patrick Stewart is great. I never thought about this, but I guess that... Lord of the Rings and this would have been filmed like within the same couple of years, right? Um, yeah, I believe. Let's see. When did Fellowship of the Ring come out? Because I want to say two thousand one. And they filmed those all back to back, right? I yeah yeah they did. So that was doing that was currently like he was doing. He probably filmed this. They filmed this probably in ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. And you can imagine they were you know doing three films back to back they they, it had to be it was literally like within a few years of each other yeah so yeah the he's the same age i was i was actually just watching a an interview with ian mckellen on the dick cavett show from back in like the 80s i want to say and he does look a lot younger but he's still the same old ian mckellen but uh yeah, so very similar ages here. That's that's interesting. I never thought about that. Mm. But yeah, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen both, I think, are two like two of the big reasons why this movie works so well. They are classically trained actors. They have a great uh, on set, on stage chemistry with each other. I think they're great mm. friends in real life, from what I know. I'm not yeah. sure when yeah. that actually that friendship started, but here it it comes through for sure because they play you know former friends in in this movie and so you can tell there's a history there and i don't know man like i i really love what these two brought to the characters and they're both lovable and likable in their own ways and you know, even though Magneto's on the on the bad side, you still like like we said, uh, sympathize with him. And Patrick Stewart, he is, I think, the like it's kind of like a J. Jonah Jameson, J.K. Simmons situation. It's really hard to imagine anybody else playing Professor Xavier, and it would be awesome to see him come back for the MCU because to me, he just is Professor Xavier, and. Uh, I don't know. He he just encapsulates 
that character so well, I think. And he, he really comes across as a, a person who you would trust with, with anything with your life. And, um, and that's the figure who he, you know, he, he's supposed to be that figure to the kids and he ends up being that figure to, to Logan Wolverine himself. So, um, yeah, I think they, they set up his character good and he has a really great story throughout. Yeah, and and also just in regards to these casting, like obviously they've already recast these characters once. Yeah, with Fassbender, and so I don't have an opinion on that because I haven't seen those films yet. But yeah. do you have an opinion? I do actually. It's a uh, yeah. Michael Fassbender plays young young Eric, and James McAvoy plays mm-hmm. young Xavier, and I actually really love them in the roles the the younger roles i think they do a great job you can see how they're they're the younger characters i honestly think the the younger uh x-men especially uh first class and days of future past are excellent excellent movies and um i haven't seen x2 in a while but supposedly that's the best X-Men movie period. I haven't seen that in forever, so I can't speak to that, but I think that the, the uh, first class and days of future past are my favorite X-Men movies period. And I I think that they definitely are that same level of, of like how good they are in the roles. Like, like I said, Patrick Stewart is professor X to me, that age i should say specifically but james mcavoy plays a very very good xavier younger and same with same with uh, michael fassbender so yeah i i think that the the two are equal levels of good that's right And, and the reason i bring this up is like obviously you know we're moving into the mcu the next time we see these characters probably and they're gonna get recast again mm. And it's going to be, you know, they've done it once before with good results recasting these characters. But still, you know, you have to wonder how you top these performances. Um, because obviously it's not a one-to-one comparison with, you know, they're they're kind of playing these characters at, you know, kind of towards the end of their lives. Fassbender and McAvoy are kind of playing them at the start of their lives. So it's, it's not really like one-to-one, but yeah. um, they still did it. And they still capture the instance of those characters. So, you know, what I'm wondering is, like, how can they do that again in the MCU? And how do they, like, what are the ages going to be of the characters? You know, how that's how is that all going to work out? Um, I'm really interested to see, you know, how that all works out. But, you know, I think, obviously, Stuart and McKellen really knocked it out of the park with this one. They just add such a gravitas to these roles and to the, to the films. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to introduce them into the MCU, but in the comics, the whole World War II Auschwitz storyline with Eric is definitely like a essential part of his character. So I think that whatever they decide to do, they're going to have to do something similar to that. And I think it's too... He, he would be too old to have it take place back in Auschwitz if you know this was right, modern day right. so they're going to have to figure out something else for that i'm assuming but it's going to be unless they unless they come up with something like i don't know his his powers have allowed him to live longer than yeah. people maybe yeah that'd be interesting like like he has metal powers right so maybe he just 
minerals are supposedly good for your body. So maybe he just attracts so many minerals to his body through the earth that it's just his body loves it. And, and he's like the healthiest human in all of human history. And that's why he has longevity. <laughs> and well, yeah, and they could come up with anything like that, really. And they could sell it. Um, you know, while we're talking about it, let's 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 talk about the MCU really quick, because I, I do want to kind of discuss this in more in detail yeah. in regards to like, what are we expecting from the MCU in regards to these films? Because my take on it is that I think what we've learned from the MCU so far is that they're not willing to just do the same thing over again. You look at the Spider-Man films. Prior to Tom Holland being cast, there was two Spider-Men. And there was, uh, what, five Spider-Man films? Like, they had done a lot, and they weren't content to just put that back and tell his origin story all over again. Spider-Man Homecoming is a very different Spider-Man film. I think that's not by accident. Yeah. So I feel like it's interesting that this film is now almost 20 years old. It will be next year, which is crazy. They could easily just do this film, a rebooted version of this film in the MCU. They could do that. Obviously, you'd have to tweak it in regards to you know, mutants and you know how do you address that problem. And obviously, in this universe... Mutants have been around. It's kind of a, 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 an overarching problem. And from what we know in the MCU, mutants aren't a thing yet. So, but I feel like whatever we get in the MCU is going to be different. I think it's going to be different than anything we've seen so far. I think they're not going to want to retread anything ground that uh, that Fox did. Um, but it would be interesting. I And I hope they take a lot of cues from this because I think there's a lot of good stuff in these films. Even the ones that aren't as well received, there's good stuff in them. And, you know, they could do some really good stuff. But I'm expecting new characters, new environments. Maybe not even, you know, I feel like they kind of hold back on the whole different elements, like that stuff you expect. I feel like maybe we won't even see the, the, the X-Mansion. Like, it'll be something that kind of comes down the road after they've been introduced in a little while. But uh, I think it'll be different in whatever we get. Um, but... I've done enough rambling, Jake. What what do you what do you want? What are you hoping for when we eventually get that rebooted X Men in the MCU? Well, I'm gonna echo what you say. I hope they do something fresh. I think they will. I think they'd be, for lack of a better term, stupid not to because they've seen how well that works with other things like Spider Man. And I think there's a lot of different things that you can do. It's like there's so many possibilities out there that. You know, you get the writers together, you get the the story people together to come up with something true to the characters, but also something that we've never seen before. And I think that's the key to rebooting this in a way that's going to get the most people interested. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is like they're not content to just, you know, give you what you're expecting. I think the MCU, despite... Once some people say, and even sometimes when I've criticized the MCU, I think it doesn't get enough credit for kind of taking risks yeah. and doing something different. And, you know, it could have we could have easily gotten, you know, Tom Holland getting bit by a spider and doing all that. But they didn't. They, yeah. they tried something different. And I think in a lot of ways they've done a lot of things. So I think whatever we get from X-Men, it'll be new and interesting and I would I would be willing to bet that we won't get any of the characters that we've seen before in X Men. We won't get Wolverine. Wow. We won't get any of those characters. I think we're gonna start with like a whole new team. Yeah. And then you'll work your way up to okay, here's Wolverine, here's Jean Grey, here's Rogue, all these characters. I think if I had to put money on it, they would bring back like 
just the core ones that were like fan favorites and then with them would be other ones that we haven't seen yet because as far as i know in the x-men comics there's just countless countless x-men that have appeared that haven't appeared in any of the any of the x-men movies seen to date so i think there's a lot to pick from but wolverine is obviously just like some people's favorite character in general like let alone superhero and i think that magneto and professor x are just staples of that universe so i i think to not include them would be kind of of a mistake personally but you you could be completely right by that and i i wouldn't necessarily hate it i I would be a little sad but i wouldn't hate it if they didn't include them and see i'm thinking we will see hugh jackman reprise wolverine wow in the mcu i think it's going to happen i also think i also think that we're going to get a new actor playing wolverine but i think we're going to now that endgame introduced time travel into this universe you're going to see them leaning on that a lot more and i think you're going to see you know them popping through time and yeah here's hugh jackman again as wolverine yeah i think that's gonna happen well i don't know if you've seen logan have you no i have not well that introduces x23 who in the comics is like female female wolverine Um, right but i have seen a few theories out there that they they will introduce Wolverine, but it won't be Wolverine as we know him. It'll be X twenty three, which would be really interesting, I think. And by the way, Logan, I hope we talk about that sometime because that's my second favorite superhero movie ever. I would say. Well, I I feel like you know we're, we're with this with these films we're just discussing um, X one X two and Last Stand right now yeah. we're going to be doing these back to back or maybe not back to back we may be breaking it somewhere in the middle for something else maybe but before the end of the year we're going to knock these three out and then um later on i am totally game i think we need i would love to go back and do you know uh first class go through apocalypse and all those Heck dark yeah. phoenix logan i want to do them all um, and if we don't get to them soon enough, I'll watch them on my own. <laughs> Heck yeah. We, we should just wait till 2023 to do Logan because of X23. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a goal. We have to be done by then. Yeah. yeah. By 2023. Four more is, years. Which is a long way off, but also not that long. No. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's not that far, guys. It is really kind of crazy. Uh, how time is flying but yeah that's a great idea actually i think i think they could start off and maybe maybe the x-men have been around we just haven't seen them and x-23 is out there well and then they bring back hugh jackman or someone else to play an older wolverine i don't know yeah i always thought that maybe the quantum realm would be the way to introduce it because they kind of introduce a concept in ant-man and the wasp of you know when janet van dyne is stuck down there she comes back with these powers from the quantum realm. And I'm not sure where that ever ended up going, but I always thought it would be cool if that's where they found what would unlock the X gene. But who knows? Yeah, well, and also there's there's a dangling thread, and who knows the canonosity of this because it's, it's TV, and there's not been a good relationship between Marvel TV and Marvel movies, but uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like in yeah. one of their seasons... They dumped a bunch of uh, Terrigen crystals into the water, and then they end the season with, like, a bunch of people getting infected and apparently, like, creating this, like, inhuman problem. And they were using inhumans because they couldn't use mutants. So 
like if they want to go back to that, maybe it would make sense in the sense that we've seen the big heroes. Yeah, we've seen all these guys get their powers through different ways. We, you can imagine that Peter Parker's not the only random kid out there, high school kid that got superpowers. No, there's probably other people in this universe that are in need of a Xavier School for the Gifted. Yeah. So like, I think I think you can actually, you know, slot. Xavier and the X-Men pretty easily into this, especially going forward and the universe starts widening out and you get to this point where there's just power people everywhere and you have to control it. You have to address that problem. Well, there's the X-Men. Um, yeah. And who knows? I don't know. I think I think there's a lot of ways they could do it that would make a lot of sense. Well, I... I really don't one of my pet peeves is when people are like well you can't just have the x-men pop up because like like it wouldn't make sense for them to just be hidden the entire time and i'm like well why not why can't you have a group of people that's scared to come out for a certain reason who knows but i mean in this universe in this the the not too distant future as it's called they're basically in hiding yeah you know they 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 know mutants exist but even Xavier's school is kind of working at under a front so you know and we don't know the political upheaval in the MCU like they just got through with losing half the planet's population for five years like they've got other problems like so you know we don't know what they've been up to we don't know if the X-Men have been a team that's, that's worked with you know who knows what so I think it's the precedent is there. They can make it work, however. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think we've got a few more things we want to get to, and then we'll jump into final thoughts. But I think we'll leave it here for a bit, take a little break, and we'll be back with uh, more discussion of X-Men. Stay tuned. PC listeners, this is Joey Mays, intergalactic patron and promoter of my family business, Mays Sandwich Shop. We are proud to be supporting IPC and the endeavors of young, talented individuals like Zach, Ben, and Jake. Should you ever find yourself in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, be sure to stop by Mays Sandwich Shop. Started by my grandfather in 1947, currently owned by my father and operated by my sister and me, May's Sandwich Shop has been serving delicious food to the greater Westlawn area for over 70 years. If you ever do visit, be sure to tell them IBC sent you. back discussing X-Men, the original from the year 2000, the millennia. Man, I remember the millennium. Remember that? Do you remember that? Or, 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 or I know I'm a bit older than you, so you may not remember that. I I know the Millennium Falcon, but uh, 
Not sure what you're talking about. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll just leave it at that. All right. I'm old. You're not. It's fine. Yep. All right, Grandpa Ben. (laughs) That's ex-Grandpa Ben to you. (laughs) So um, real quick, I just want to kind of get into kind of the final um, showdown here, which happens at the Statue of Liberty, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, also kind of, uh, I guess you could say kind of poignant, you know, being what the Statue of Liberty means and all this kind of stuff. And I like the fact that at first I was talking, oh, okay. I just remembered something. Mm. Ray Park is in this movie. Yep. That's true. I had no idea Ray Park was in this movie. Yep. And this is right after Phantom Menace. Yeah, that's true. Like he had to have picked this up like immediately after Phantom Menace and it blew my mind because I'm like, I know that guy. I recognize him. And he has more lines in this movie than he does in Phantom Menace. Yeah, that's true. Hey, I like how he goes from Darth Maul to Toad. 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 Yeah. Takes All- red, red to green. Also, maybe my favorite, favorite bad line from the movie is when Storm is like, do you know what happens to a toad in a lightning oh. storm? And he's like, no, what? And... She's like, the same thing that happens to everything else. And I always was like, what does that even mean? Yeah, I, w- I was like, did you seriously just say that? Yeah. What? It was probably what one of those things Barry? that seemed better on paper. <laughs> I doubt it seemed that much better on paper, though, yeah. in reality. Yeah. But, uh, oh, gosh. Yeah, there's some there's some corny lines in there. It's, it's, a very mu- it's a very 2000s, almost 90s film. Yeah. You can tell it's aged, but uh, that was great. And I, I just loved, I, I, cause I couldn't get it. Like when you first see Toad, he's like spray painting something. And I'm like, what, what is this? Like, yeah. what is going on here? And then you see that are like some, they're going to attach something to the Statue of Liberty, which is really interesting. And it kind of wrecked the place. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they do. But uh, it's a great little showdown. It's a great piece for Wolverine. And you get, uh, you know, uh, Rogue gets her kind of iconic hair, which is one of the few things that I remember about these characters. Is like, oh yeah, she looks like that, which yep. is interesting. Yeah, and, uh, I I like that Magneto was kind of like trying to turn everyone into a to a mutant, even though it would have definitely backfired and killed everyone. Like, he's like, well, if you you can't hate us if you join us. Exactly, and one of the interesting. Uh, other interesting characters that I actually forgot about until just now was that one senator guy who's so against every every mutant. You know, he's like totally against mutants. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you become the thing that you're against? And that's exactly what happens to him. And he ends up becoming a like puddle of water at the end. But for a little <laughs> like bit there, literally, yeah, for a little bit there, he's like squeezing through jail bars and all that stuff. So. Uh, that was interesting. Also, when he crawls up onto the beach, you get a little Stan Lee cameo. I love that. I've yeah. seen it in compilations, but I never knew the context of it. Yeah. Um, it's great to see him. This got to be one of his, one of his first cameos. Yeah, I think so. At least in the modern era, because I know he goes like way back to, uh, I don't know if he ever like cameoed in like the Incredible Hulk TV series. Yeah. That'd be an interesting question. But I think this was one when... They were trying. They were just first discovering the gold that they had in Stanley. They didn't give him a line. He was just there in the background. Yeah. It wasn't until later they're like, "Oh, we got to give this guy like a line of dialogue in every single movie." Yeah, and there's a 
like a cart there or something with like food on it and then there's like a tv on the cart and it's like all on the beach and i remember thinking that that must be so cool to be at the beach and you also can watch tv yeah that was pretty for that era that seems weird yeah because like you, you, for, for now it's like oh yeah you have a cabana on the beach and there's a tv whatever like back in the day like you tvs were in short supply like you just didn't put a tv anywhere yeah you know and now there's just one out on this beach in the middle of a bunch of people well Um, i always wondered like how is the tv being powered like where are they like where are they plugging that into and then i'm like oh wait like a long extension cord yeah but then i think i realized that oh it's probably just like battery powered or something maybe so it looked like a bigger tv than that but maybe you're right yeah Um, yeah who knows but uh, the, it's oh. a superhero movie with mutants, and we're debating about how a TV is powered. I mean, yeah, yeah. nerds got to look at every aspect. <laughs> but yeah, that's a great, that's a great scene. That's a great. Um, I like his character because he's such such a lovable asshole. Yeah, but then <laughs> that's a good you know he he really gets it in the end. Like uh-huh. you know he, he's like, but you could like totally understand if he'd survived. Like he would have been like someone who would have been on their side. Like he kind of experienced the, had had that experience in the last moments of his life um, before he turned into uh water. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I like that whole storyline. I like the idea of the, the mutant registration act, which is, I don't know it's from the comics, but I know it's, I, I'm assuming it's a reference to the superhero re- registration act. Yeah. Was also taken in the MCU via the Sokovia Accords. Yeah. And you know what? I think that's also something. I think we could see in the future of the MCU, I think we could see Civil War II. Uh-huh. I think we could see maybe X-Men versus Avengers. Yeah. Maybe. I think that would be a really good storyline to kind of go off of and bring back the whole, we got to control these superheroes, even though they saved the world a billion times by now, we got to control them because they're out of control. Yep. Um, because that's what politicians do, guys. They just suck. <laughs> well, and, and it, and it gives us the, it gives us the valuable lesson that if you're mean to people, you will turn into water. That's true. That's true. But that's a tweet right there. If you're mean to people, you will turn into water. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Solid advice. Yeah. Solid advice. Well, I think unless you have anything else you want to bring up, Jake, I think we can go ahead and move into final thoughts for X-Men. And uh, I'll go ahead and throw it to you. Uh, Final thoughts and give them your planet score. Well, my final thoughts for this are that it's a well-made movie that I think balances the the two sides very well. You can see where both people are coming from, but at the same time, you get a good clear picture of who's good and who's bad, who takes it a little too far and who uh, stays, stays on that moral high ground and doesn't let what drives them uh, take, take things too far. So I'm going to give this a, uh, I, I gotta give it like a nine out of 10. Cause it's, it's just a really good movie, I think. And they, the the acting is is fine by me. I think they the casting is wonderful. They chose great people for the leads here. Gives us great introductions to characters and uh, great payoff by the end, and uh, sets up a really cool universe that has a lot of potential. Yep, exactly. And 
For me, I think, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I it, it left me intrigued to watch the next films. Like, I'm legitimately like, okay, this weekend I've got to watch the next one because I want to see what happens next. I want to see how Magneto gets out of that prison because it's going to happen. You know it will. <laughs> um, but uh, I liked the whole, I liked the social commentary. I liked the characters. I think everything was well casted. I liked, you know, kind of the whole juxtaposition between, you know, uh, these different sides and how this would affect the world. And, you know, it's really a realistic take on this and introducing the mythology of the X-Men, which, as I said, is very deep and very complex and making it into a film that is really coherent. This could have been a film that was really off the wall and wouldn't connect with general audience members because, because if you get someone that's, too close to the subject matter that understands it too well, they can't pull themselves out of it and go, okay, we have to pull this down to first grade level yeah. and say, this is what the X-Men are at a just a basic, basic level. And it does that, but also still exudes the the complexity of the universe and these characters that I think is really well. And I think the MCU would do a disservice to themselves not to pay attention to this, what this movie did and try to emulate it at least somewhat. And being that Kevin Feige was involved in these, I, I have no doubt that he will take the great elements from this and translate them into new films in the future. And I'm really looking forward to those. But for right now, I'm looking forward to watching all these movies, and I especially love this one. And I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it an eight point five yeah. out of ten planet score. I think, you know, it's not without its flaws, it's not it's not without its aging. It is obviously a 2000s movie. There's no doubt in that. But I also think it, it aged rather well with a lot of things. I think the special effects hold up for the most part. There's a, there's a few choppy things in there. And, you know, some of the acting and the dialogue, eh. But, you know, overall, it's a really enjoyable film that I think sets up some good stuff for the future. Yeah. Another reason that I rank this pretty high is because... I think that it was so different than anything really that had come out before that point, as far as superhero movies go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really kind of changed the game. And I, th- I think that like we wouldn't have the MCU without X-Men one. And it, it did a lot to pioneer and pave the way for all of the superhero movies we get now. And it, it was a movie that a lot could have gone wrong with for sure. But I think mostly good decisions were made, it, you know, as far as the production and everything went. So it was kind of like a lightning in, in a bottle thing. And yeah, I don't know. There's there's really no other no other movie quite like X-Men one because it, it was just like that bridging uh, bridging the gap type of movie. Yeah, and you know, I also I look a lot to the Raimi trilogy, Spider-Man trilogy yeah. as kind of this coming of age and also kind of ushered in this current age of of superhero films that we've got. Um but this film predates the first Spider-Man by a year. Yeah. By two years, actually. Yeah. It was 2000. The first Spider-Man film wasn't out until 2002. So, you know, X-Men really deserves a lot of credit for, I think, kind of establishing the status quo. And, and also, I know, I think this film, in a way, is is a product of its time in that you have all, it's not comic-accurate suits. It's not, in, it's, they kind of lessen on the comic ac- accuracy in regards to, 
in contrary to trying to appeal to, you know, the modern times, quote unquote, you know, black suits and all this kind of stuff. That was all the rage in the nineties and the early two thousands. And, you know, I think and he didn't even make a reference to it. What would you rather have? Yellow spandex? Yeah. But which is funny because like I think nowadays that would be more acceptable. <laughs> And yeah, I think it is. I think the the characters I think in Dark Phoenix have yellow costumes. Yeah. So that just goes to show how this this franchise itself has evolved over time. But I think in ultimately this film even though it's it's going along the lines of it's trying to be it's 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 really comic accurate even though it does take liberties in certain areas, it's showing that you can translate something like this, something really crazy like the X-Men turn it into a film and it can be very compelling very well acted very well written and just an overall really good time so yep. i think we the mcu owes a lot to the x-men you know in regards to this and bringing you know what we have to the screen right now and uh, yeah so yep. it's been good I'm enjoying this one. Like I said, I'm looking forward to more. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll get Zach's thoughts on this at some point when he, unfortunately, he could not make it tonight. But uh, looking forward to hearing what he has to say about this because I don't know if he's, I assume he's seen these because I assume everyone's seen every movie that I haven't seen. <laughs> but sometimes that's not always the case. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's it. All right, so real quick, let's move over to the quote of the night. And as you would imagine we have a scene from this movie. And it's a scene that we've kind of mentioned off and on this tonight, and it's from the very start of the film where you have Xavier and Eric in the, I guess it's whatever this courthouse is or government building or whatever, and uh, they have a little chat. And uh, it's kind of tense, but it's also extremely well acted, extremely well written, and it's a great listen. So... Without further ado, here is tonight's quote of the night. Eric. What are you doing here? Why do you ask questions to which you already know the answers? Don't give up on them, Eric. What would you have me do, Charles? I've heard these arguments before. It was a long time ago. Mankind has evolved since then. Yes, into us. You're sneaking around in here, Charles. Whatever are you looking for? I'm looking for hope. I will bring you hope, old friend. And I ask only one thing in return. Don't get in my way. We are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter. That scene is incredible. Yep. And and actually watching it, you there's a lot of subtlety in the performances of that they give. You know, uh, Sir Patrick Stewart is very. There's a lot of pain in every word he says like you can tell it's kind of you know he's not you know he's very disappointed very just heartbroken that his friend has gone this way and oppositely you have a just a really tense sense of resolve in Magneto to 
I am done with this crap. I am done with humans. They're they're terrible. And I don't blame him because humans are terrible. But you know, it, it's it, it's it's just this resolve of screw it. You know, I've been on this planet for a long time. I've been discriminated from from more than one angle. Now I'm done, and. It's just a, it's a great scene that that kind of highlights you. You get their relationship. You get where both of them are coming from, and their relationship and what has gone on between them very quickly in such few words, which is amazing. Yeah, and I that's one of the reasons I really respect Eric's character is because even though I don't agree with how he's going about doing things, he is he is fed up with something and he's doing something about it. And that's something you can't really argue with from a lot of points of view. So very, very interesting scene, very cool scene. And it really sets up exactly the dynamic that is not only between these two characters, but the groups that each character represents. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it also goes back to, you know, what these characters are based on, which I, I, I unfortunately haven't done the research, but from what I understand, Professor X is kind of invoke Malcolm X, who, you know, I don't believe, I think it's more that Professor X is based on Martin Luther King and Magneto is kind of channeling uh, Malcolm X. Yeah. But those two characters, you know, kind of opposite sides of a a social struggle in the real world. I think it's a great comparison and a great little Easter egg in there. And it also goes back to, I don't know if there's been anything official, but they're actually talking about uh, recasting as maybe some African-American actors, either one or both of them, which I think would be cool. I think not just from a historical kind of like what the characters were intended to be in the first place, but also just in the sense of we've had two white guys, you know, already or actually four white guys total play these characters there's a lot of really talented black actors out there that i would like to see maybe tackle these roles so i'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds for sure okay so before we leave you tonight we have but one final segment to wrap it all up with and it is time to get out your hashtags put them in the chat put them on social media and I know Zach does this way better than I do. He just does. It's just a fact. But I'm still learning, all right? So get out your hashtags. Put them on social media. Put them in the chat. Put them everywhere because it is time. One more time for the 250-something time for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. Barbecue. Alrighty, so I heard a rumor, Jake. I heard a rumor. That was the appropriate response. <laughs> um, so I heard something about you that I want to get your take on. Yeah. And I want to grill you on it. Oh. So I heard that you had the McRib from McDonald's for the first time ever. 
And as someone who has actually shamefully never actually eaten a McRib, and apparently the McRib is back. I didn't know that. Um, nobody told me, but I want to get your take. What did you think of the McRib upon first taking your first bite? Yeah, well, I was I was really surprised when I heard that it was coming back out because it's apparently been years since it was on the menu. And I it's kind of like a legendary fast food sandwich because right. I've, I've always heard about people loving this thing and how it's like the best fast food they've ever gotten and and all that stuff so i was excited to try it very curious to to see what all the rave was about so i bought it and i i guess it's hard to describe but it's like it's like a piece of processed meat that is in the shape of like a, a rack of ribs like a small rack of ribs yeah on a bun and it comes with pickles and onions i did ask for no onions so that's that's significant i guess understandable so i didn't get the full mcrib experience if that's what you want to call it but uh the the meat itself i had in the in the pickles in the bun and it was weird because it looked so unappetizing when I opened the box and it was just like, <laughs> like th- this, this meat is just complete. If you want to call it meat, I don't know, but it's completely like slathered with this brown sauce. What I'm assuming is some kind of barbecue sauce. And it like to the point where there's too much sauce, it was just dripping off the sides of the bun and just mm. making a complete mess. Not not the biggest fan of that, but I tried it and it didn't have the worst taste in the world. <laughs> it, it it wasn't half. It wasn't bad. the worst. It wasn't half bad, and so I'm 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 kind of like making my way through the sandwich, and by the end, I I kind of wish that wasn't the end because I, I don't know. There was something about the taste and the texture of everything that I shouldn't have liked, but really did end up enjoying. It's kind of like a guilty pleasure thing. So I guess I would say, yes, I might get it again. I'm not sure what in the world is possessing me to say that because by all means I shouldn't, it, it looks unappetizing. The The very concept of it is kind of unappetizing, but my taste buds were, were pretty happy. So I got to say that I kind of understand where people are coming from with this. Yeah, and that's interesting because that would have been you describing the sauce situation. That would have turned me off Yeah, because texture is a big thing for me. Yeah, And if you put too much sauce in the sandwich, that means the, the bun's going to be soggy. And I've checked out already. Yeah. And so I don't like a whole lot of sauce in my sandwich, but also a essentially boneless ribs and you know it's basically like a it's a rib sandwich it's a it's a rib burger i guess you could say yeah it looks good it always looks good in the picture but uh, i would like to see i'm not, one of these days we'll have to come back and, and try it again and maybe we'll get zach i don't know if i don't know if zach's had one so if he hasn't had one and i haven't had one i guess we need to fix that problem because you know it that's legendary barbecue right there even I mean, I don't know if it's considered barbecue, technically speaking, but I consider it, so. Yeah, so I, I think it's worth trying just once. So if you, if you have a chance to, I think you should check it out, because I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, I'm interested. I go to McDonald's once a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've become kind of addicted to their breakfast menu. Their breakfast is really good. 
They, that's the best stuff is the breakfast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I totally get that. So yeah, yeah, McRib anytime. I think they, they break the McRib back like sporadically. Sometimes they, I think they wait a little while. Yeah. And then you know, because they gotta keep reusing the the whole thing. McRib is back. McRib is back. Yeah, it was back six months ago. Jeez. <laughs> but uh, that is neither here nor there. Um, we'll give an update on McRib in the near future. Also, something that just popped into my head: we need to do an update on our TV show eventually yeah i keep forgetting next, about that next time zach's on the show we need to do that and uh, do a full report i don't know if we've made any progress i haven't done any writing but i have some stuff in my head that maybe i'll maybe i'll divulge maybe i'll divulge because my mind's just constantly thinking about stuff yeah i think I, I think i actually came up if i can remember it i think i came up with a great opening scene i think i did okay so if i can salvage that yep. we'll bring it up on a future episode but uh, by the way, we're 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 creating a barbecue TV show that we're gonna shop around on Netflix eventually. But that's neither here nor there. We'll get to that later. But uh, I think that about wraps it up for us on the IPC podcast. Um, really quick, we want to point you in the direction of our awesome patrons. One being Mr. Jake Damon right here. Hey, how about that? And we also got Joey Mays, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, a.k.a. Daniel Georgiev, Parker Ott, and Carrie Fleming. They are awesome people. They help keep the lights on. They support us. And if you want to join them and get awesome exclusive content, patron.podbean.com slash ipcpodcast is where you can find it, or just ipcpodcast.podbean.com. There's a little link in one of the corners you can go to. And, yeah, it's all there. You get uh, our backlog of episodes. Uh, we're going to try to work on some more exclusive episodes just for the patrons. So look out for that. And uh, yeah, a lot of awesome stuff going on over there. So check that out. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at IPC Podcast. You can follow Zach, who is our normal co-host but is not here tonight, at Zach underscore DFW on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow myself on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Hart with no E and you can also follow Jake well Jake tell them where they can find you and uh, what you've been up to outside this podcast yeah uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Damon Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Jake W Damon you can also find my brother and mine's podcast Ben 10 again where we watch every episode of Ben 10 again Uh, on Spotify and on uh, what's it called? Anchor. 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 Uh, ben 10 again. We are uploading episode 11, I think, this this weekend. So check it out. Awesome. 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 Yeah, definitely check that out. Follow him. He's got some good tweets. He's got some good art. All good stuff. Yeah. All good I stuff. I try. You done good. You do good. Um, additionally, for IPC, you can find our episodes on iTunes on Google Play and on StarWarsUnderworld.com, which is our partners. And also, I'm a part of that, and I do a lot of stuff over there, including all the latest Star Wars news. You can follow them on social media at the SWU, which is mostly my handiwork. So uh, enjoy that. And of course, each and every episode is up there. We got Star Wars Underworld podcast, Kazutacast is back, where we talk about each and every episode of Star Wars Resistance. And then if you want to hear Jake and Zach on Kazuta Cast talking Star Wars Resistance, 
tweet at them and tell them to catch up and finish that show <laughs> so they can be on the show. Thank you. Um, so we really want them back. And uh, yeah, all kinds of awesome Star Wars stuff over there. Um, as I said, ipcpodcast.podbean.com is our host site. And uh, tpublic.com slash user slash ipcpodcast is where you can find our merch store. T-shirts, phone cases, you name it. They got it over there. It's also a great way to support the show. And uh, you get something for your money. Repping the IPC everywhere you go. So it's a lot of good stuff. All right. So I I think we did it, Jake. I think this is it. Unless you have anything else you would like to add before we close it out. Not off the top of my head. I'm just glad we got to talk about this. And I'm excited to rewatch and talk about X2 whenever that comes about. Indeed, indeed. So without further ado, I suppose that wraps up episode number 258 of the IPC podcast for myself and Zach and Jake and all of us at IPC. Thank you so much for listening. But before we leave you, we're just going to leave you with this closing thought. Without darkness, there cannot be light. We hope you can see your way back to IPC one of these days. Until then, good night.
I am Steve Rogers. Go f*** yourself. Language.